Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Amy Shoremount Obra is off and running. The internationally known American soprano made her debut at the Metropolitan Opera in the fall of 2014 as First Lady in Mozart's Magic Flute, singing all nine scheduled performances. She's been back at the Met since, and this year performs in two new operas as part of Opera America's new opera showcase. Amy's also sung at Odyssey Opera of Boston, Opera Las Vegas, the Annapolis Opera, the Savannah Voice Festival, to name just a few. Last year, she made her debut at David Geffen Hall in Lincoln Center as the soprano soloist in Verdi's Requiem with a National Chorale. Other solo concert engagements include Manhattan's Carnegie Hall, the Viennese Opera Ball of New York City, the Chicago Cultural Center. Amy made her European operatic debut as Iphigenia in Handel's Oreste at Italy's Spoleto Festival. This past summer, she toured the Hawaiian Islands with virtuoso violinist Eric Silberger, with whom she found the Hawaii International Music Festival. Amy's won numerous awards. She's a 2004 New York regional winner and national semifinalist in the Metropolitan Opera National Council auditions and is the 2016 winner in the Ursula Springer Award from the Wagner Society of New York. She is also a graduate of Manhattan School of Music and Juilliard. So, Amy, welcome and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. When did your love affair with opera begin, and were you exposed at a young age? That's a great question. I completely grew up on pop music and piano, classical piano music. I started off, as a matter of fact, the first CDs I remember, well, they weren't even CDs, they were cassette tapes back then, that I bought and owned were Bon Jovi, Madonna, and Whitney Houston. So in the early 80s. So um, I did not grow up on opera. and uh, But I did have a classical music background growing up. I was a pianist. I trained as a pianist starting at the age of five. So I did have a love and appreciation for classical music. Did this come from your parents? No. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know where. Five is young, obviously. Uh, yeah. I mean, my parents both sang in high school, so they were very musical. That My mother always sang everything. I mean, she'd like hand us breakfast and sing, here's your breakfast, you know, <laughs> it was like that. So music was always a part of the family. And I do have a very, um, my, my extended family, a lot of musicians, uh, organists primarily and band directors and things. So music is definitely in the blood. But I did grow up in the theater. So I did have a lot of exposure to musical theater, straight drama. I worked with a professional children's uh, theater group and community theater. So my early childhood was spent mostly playing the piano and singing and performing in theater. So Why? I don't even know where it came from. I remember at the age of five being in my bedroom listening to some of my mom's old I think, what are they, 45 That's speed right. records? Mm-hmm. And uh, dancing around, and I always pretended I was on a stage. And and then, of course, I saw the movie Annie <laughs> and wanted to be the orphan and, you know, <laughs> sat in the window. Tomorrow, and, yes, you're belting out, I'm of sure. Of course, like most young, young girls who aspire to be on the stage. And so I kind of was drawn to that, and they were having auditions at a local theater group, and my parents saw the ad. I think it was in the paper or something. And uh, I said, I want to do it. Uh, so I I went and auditioned and got in, and the rest is history. And then I started singing classically in middle school. Is in, that considered young? 
Yeah, well, I, I was in a choir, so for choir singing, no. I mean, that's pretty normal. Right. I continued with that through high school, and I started to win awards uh, for my for competitive uh, choirs that I would audition for. And uh, I always had a little bit of a competitive streak. Uh, growing up, I really loved watching gymnastics and saw the movie Nadia and that just the whole competitive aspect of gymnastics really appealed to me. And that actually, a lot of that applies to singing. And so I was always very competitive. I wanted to do the best. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to just always learn and grow and strive for new things. So I had an opportunity when I was 16 uh, to participate in the New Jersey Governor's School of the Arts, which unfortunately is no longer funded. The program was shut down probably within the last 10 years. But that is where I actually saw my very first opera. They took, uh, there were 12 students from the state of New Jersey who were chosen to spend a month at the College of New Jersey. Back then, I think it was still called the Trenton State College. And we were exposed to opera. We sang Mozart. Um, and I. this is my first time ever hearing any of this music. And I really fell in love with it. And you were how old? 16. Okay. So that was my first exposure to opera. I had no no idea what it was prior to that. And I saw how similar it was to musical theater in that you can be a different character and be on stage. And what appealed to me about it was the challenge of the music and the language, the languages that that you sing in. That I always loved to challenge. <laughs> Whenever somebody told me I couldn't do something, I would always be like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> so I loved that challenging aspect. And at that time, my voice was really starting to develop because that's Usually around the time um, a young singer would start voice lessons around the age of 16. And that's about the time I did start voice a lessons. A female? Female or male. Or male? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they start a little earlier. But, you know, you want to usually wait post-puberty until the voice has developed somewhat. And it depends on the person how fast that happens. Um, so uh, I was starting to notice that I was having a more difficult time singing musical theater rep. It seemed a little low and not really suited from the instrument that was developing inside of my throat. That you were cultivating. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, you know, that's where I was drawn to opera. And um, the first opera I saw was Stravinsky's The Rake's Progress, which I absolutely hated. It's a neoclassical opera, which means it's written in in more modern times um, in the 20th century, but it was in the style of like a classical era opera. So um, thus neoclassical. And um, the story is <laughs> it's not a great story for a young person. It's about this guy who sells his soul to the devil and everything. So it, it did Was not... Was it in English? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It did not appeal to me whatsoever. Now I actually like the opera a lot, but uh, it, that kind of turned me off a little bit. I probably should have seen like Carmen or La Boheme or mm -hmm. something first, but... Um, yeah, so that's that was my first exposure. I'm going to quote sure. one of your mottos. I never want to stop working hard. I never want to feel like I have really made it, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I don't want to lose my ability to keep progressing and learning. I gather from what you've said so far that you integrated that into you at a very young age. I guess so. <laughs> I don't I I tend to want to maybe definitely give credit to my parents for always believing in me and and allowing me to just be myself. Um and I'm also religious, so you know, I, I my my faith uh 
plays into that. But yeah, I, I guess I've always had a lot of confidence, I guess my parents would say. Well, clearly they instilled in you a strong sense of self. This is Amy with a focus here, correct? Yeah, I knew I wanted to sing. Um, I knew my options. How did you know you were good? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. You know, I don't know. I just, I don't, I, I just always think I believed that I could be good. My first voice teacher in at Manhattan School of Music, one of the things she taught me, her name was Hilda Harris, a beautiful, wonderful woman, still teaches uh, there. She told me that you have to always be content with where you are at the moment and say, this is where I'm at. This is what I can bring to the table right now. And so that stuck with me even to this day that you always have to, to strive to do better, but always to be content with where you're at and that, you know, there's there's truly no perfection in art and in, in music. And even though you can strive to be perfect, there's it's very subjective. And so that in itself, I think, is what I tend to focus on rather than trying to think how you know, how, how, how good I am at the moment. I, I don't know. In this business, mm-hmm. there's always that concern about mm-hmm. what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, Definitely. as you move from project mm-hmm. to project, it's mm-hmm. tough. Even if you are successful and famous, sure. I would think. Sure. So you're in Manhattan School of Music and you're there for four years? Yes. And I, I actually almost transferred out my first year. I got there and I thought this opera thing is not for me. I was starting to think about applying to be um, an organ major at Westminster Choir College because I just wasn't sure if I could handle the lifestyle. I grew up in, in the woods, rural New Jersey, northwestern New Jersey, and it was a very small community, and, and just moving to New York for me at the age of 18 was very overwhelming, and I knew they were already teaching us from day one at school that if you want to do this career, you have to be happy being by yourself, being alone a lot of the time, traveling by yourself, wow. and I that scared me to death. No kidding. And so I, I really, really thought about transferring and thinking this is not for me but then something in me just said you know what I'm going to stick it out and see what happens so I did and then by the time I reached my senior year undergraduate I thought yeah I think I'm, I made the right decision this is definitely the path I want to take and that you said to you if I could put words in your mouth I know I have talent yeah I think I always knew I had talent it was the grit you might have been worried about a little bit yeah definitely I mean it's 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 a, such a hard career and quite honestly I knew it was going to be hard, but I didn't know how hard it would it actually would be until I went through it. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and then it really, really dawned on me how hard it was. But uh, yeah, so then I decided to apply for graduate school and I stayed at Manhattan for, for graduate school. Started working with a different teacher at that time named Marlena Mollis. And then I auditioned for the uh, Juilliard Opera Center, which is a postgraduate program there. And uh, it's performance focus and full scholarship. Uh, so I was very, very fortunate to have that opportunity. And um, that's where I completed my studies in 2005. So what was your first paying operatic gig? That would be when I was a young artist uh, at Opera Theater of St. Louis in 2003. So this was right smack dab in the at the end, actually, it wasn't in the middle. It was at the very end, the summer right after I finished my um, graduate degree. Um, 
Although actually now I'm now that I'm saying this, I'm actually remembering that a few summers prior, I did actually have a paying opera chorus job. <laughs> so te- te- technically, I guess that was okay. my first paying job. But, sure. But uh, but as a solo artist, it was with Opera Theater of St. Louis. Was that an incredible high for you? It was because it you know especially as a soprano. It's a dime a dozen, and to be chosen. And at that time, I was twenty four, so I felt very fortunate to have that experience to to go to this really world renowned opera company in St. Louis and spend the entire summer there. I was understudying and singing in the chorus, and you know, for the young artists, they have master classes, and you get to work with coaches and and do auditions. With each experience, mm-hmm. it's not only professional; it's also social and it, personal. It is. It is. And I think I'm very outgoing in in person and I love people and talking to people, but I have a very uh, introverted side of me. So I can only take uh, crowds in small doses and then I need to kind of retreat Mm -hmm. into my own self Mm -hmm. uh, to decompress. And so that I remember being the biggest challenge because I was in that instance, since it was a young artist program, it was a little different. They it was similar to more like a college experience, which I didn't really have in music school because I lived on on my own. They didn't really have a dormitory or anything like that. So uh, there's no campus at most schools. Uh, in no. Manhattan. And this no, this this had, you know, an actual building where we were all living and I had a roommate, which was like <laughs> a new foreign experience to me. And so that. That took some getting used to. And uh, actually, then I realized, I think I like being a principal artist better when I can have my own space. <laughs> so so yeah. take us on that journey mm-hmm. from St. Louis to kind of where we are today. And sure. I'd love to know if you look back and you think, am I living the dream? <laughs> you know, Are you considered young for where you are? For this- my voice type, yes. Most of the roles that I am going into require an extremely mature voice um, and usually people peak in their 40s for As these opera- roles well. for, for the particular roles that I am mm-hmm. I am going into mm-hmm. so and how old are you I'm 37 mm-hmm. so you're honing in on 40 huh <laughs> yeah. so uh, so for the roles that I'm going into I'm in the perfect place you know it, it really depends on the voice type lighter voices peak earlier so a lighter voice can can work a lot sooner. And so it's harder for bigger voices. It takes a lot more time and patience and <laughs> and persistence and and waiting for your body to grow. It's sure. really interesting the voice. The voice itself doesn't mature until you're in your mid 30s and for larger voices it's even later wow. sometimes. Wow. So, yeah. And also life experience because that's you have to bring that to the stage. To the stage. To the roles. And, sure. and a lot of these roles are very complicated dramatically. But to answer your question, I had a very unorthodox, I would say uh, journey. Uh, they try to prepare you in school. They, they try to make it seem like there's a certain path that one should take, and that would be to go into a young artist program, preferably one that will um, is not just for the summer, like the one I was doing, but an entire year where they will you will be able to hone your craft and and then suddenly start doing roles on the the main stage, smaller roles, and then work your way up the ladder. For a larger voice, that's not always. The way to do it, and 
Interestingly enough, I did start off with a smaller instrument, as most people do, that, that grew. And it, it, my voice went somewhere I did not expect it to. Um, I was singing Kulurotoir Rep when I was younger, which is high, light uh, repertoire. So that's how I started. I My signature role in my 20s was the Queen of the Night in the Magic Flute with the high Fs. And it's a very specialized role. And that's pretty much what I did for, for several years. I sang that role. And it's a very, uh, for me, dramatically unfulfilling role. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun, and I would never change my experience of singing it. And uh, I give a lot of credit to people who sing it because it's very hard and there's a lot of pressure. If, if it's not perfect, you the performance is over. So wow. it, there's a lot of, yeah, people literally come to that opera to see that particular role. Um, and see her sing that. So there was no pressure. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> the pressure was there. So, um, and I got to sing that with New York City Opera and a couple of other regional houses. But I kind of floated around. I taught college for a brief bit. I taught vocal pedagogy when I was 26. And, you know, I, I just tried to always, I taught private lessons. I tried to make my own way in music. But I luckily never had to work outside of music. Um, you at that time based here in New York? I was actually back in New Jersey. I, I lived in New York for eight years for music school, but then I moved back to New Jersey, where I'm from. Um, well, not, you know, I'm from New Jersey, but I don't live in the town where I grew up. I live closer to the city now. But for several years, I kind of floated around with a couple of gigs here and there, some more local gigs. I actually decided that there were some things I felt artistically that I wanted to achieve and that I should just go ahead and produce them myself. So at that time, I started a nonprofit called Opera for Humanity, which raised money for children's causes. And also, I got to do some roles I wanted to to, to get my feet wet in, which ironically now I, I was thinking, oh, I'll get these roles down from my resume. And now I don't even sing these roles anymore <laughs> because my voice is too big for them. But at the time, that was my goal. And I met a lot of great people who artists, uh, instrumentalists, vocalists who came together and we, we put on a few performances in the city with full orchestra. It was fabulous. So that was a great um, thing that that helped me get through that time period of transitioning between young artists and trying to figure out really who I was artistically and musically. As a talent, did you need to get an agent? I did. And actually, that did not come until I was in my 30s. No kidding. Yeah. But you were I was already employed I was already one. working at the Metropolitan Opera. Without an agent. Yes. Yes, I was. The Metropolitan Opera is fantastic because they're very loyal to artists who come through their programs. And I had been a national semifinalist in the competition when I was very young and very inexperienced. But they kept their eyes on me and invited me back to sing uh, for some education grants. And that's how I became uh, that's how I got on their roster back in 2007 so I was understudying there for several seasons um and I was very very grateful for that because it did help validate me as, a, as an artist and a singer and kept me afloat financially for a few years while I tried to figure out what I who I was uh artistically and, and musically and vocally so yeah I met my agent actually through my present my current teacher Diana Soviero the amazing amazing singer and, and teacher, and uh, her husband and stepdaughter, actually, my managers. So keeping it in the family. Mm -hmm. But I uh, happened to meet my my management through a gig that I was helping produce, and we needed some, some men for the gig, and my teacher said, why don't you ask Vanessa and Bernard? And so I was in their office, and, you know, we just started talking, and, and they saw the performance. Vanessa saw the performance that I was 
that helping to produce and that I was in. And uh, I sang for them and the rest is history. So I've been with them and their fantastic management. And uh, yeah. So what was at this point in your life mm-hmm. the biggest highlight of your career? At this point presently? Yes. Definitely my Met debut. In 2014. Yes, yes. It took seven years <laughs> to make my debut there. Nobody got sick for seven years. Um, well, I was <laughs> actually, I was un- only on the roster for four seasons. Uh, between Nobody two- got sick, meaning you were an understudy? Yes, and I never went on. <laughs> but, you know, it was great the way it worked out because my family, my friends, everybody got to be there for me for that event. And, um, you know, oftentimes if you go on as an understudy, uh, we call them covers in opera, you know, it's last minute and... and you don't get your family might be stuck in traffic trying uh, to get there, I can't you know. See you. Mm-hmm. So it was it was perfect how it worked out and and all um, nine performances. Yes, yeah, which it, is probably not typical. Um, sometimes it depends. It depends. Uh, sometimes roles are shared. Sometimes they're not. That season it wasn't. So uh, yeah, it was that that definitely was was one of the highlights. And I'd say the other highlight was definitely my David Geffen Hall debut this past year at Lincoln Center. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, singing the Verdi Requiem because that was the biggest concert engagement I've had to this date. It's an extremely hard piece and very emotionally and musically satisfying and very challenging vocally. What was more difficult for you as you look back at your career, the vocal or the dramatic? Definitely the vocal. Because really? yes, because growing up in the theater, I was a natural on stage. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. It came very easily to me. The difficulty I remember in music school, when your technique is not yet set, but you have all of these things you want to express, but you don't have that technique to be able to do it in a free way. Explain that to me. So the technique in singing, and I still work on my technique every day, and I train constantly. It's very similar to Olympic training in that respect. Like you have to keep working at it. Uh, You're talking about muscles and things like that, that that have to be trained to do a certain thing a certain way. Uh, Breath pressure with with your your lungs um, and the the amount of vibration with the vocal cords, all of that uh, takes a lot, many, many, many years to fine tune and develop and coordinate. And so in order to sing opera and express the emotions that you want to express, all of that has to be set uh in your body beforehand beforehand and so when you're young and you want to express that but the technique is not yet there there's there's no marriage between technique and drama so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it makes it difficult because I knew what effect I wanted but the process was not yet um natural natural and able to happen as it should got it that took a lot of time and that that definitely i think is a challenge for a lot of singers and definitely something that as a singer you have to be very patient with and allow time for that process and unfortunately society you know everything's quick 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 fast 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 and the and the in the conservatory program as well i mean it's wonderful but you know there are degree requirements and things have to be done at a certain time to to get through the program and and as a singer you don't always develop at that pace so that's a big challenge um you know when you are completing a degree program in singing What's different um, in comparison to other professions is it really is is more of just a marker of I am here at this point. 
this is where I'm at, coming back to what I said earlier. Um, but it doesn't really mean you've mastered everything. You have to keep training for many, many years after. And and I, I still train now. I mean, I've been out of school for 11, almost 12 years, but I still train constantly. But there's so many parts to this, mm-hmm. literally and figuratively. And I was just thinking to myself, what about when you're singing an opera in German? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah, that's another life. thing. I mean, come on. Not only the, the theater and the technique, but then the language, exactly. And that takes, that that is really, really worked on during school, which is great. That's one of the main things. And Manhattan School of Music had a great uh, program. I spent a year on each language phonetically, just on the phonetics. And then in grad school, I did another year on each language and the phonetics, it, it, languages being Italian, German, French, and English. Now I sing in nine languages. So I've no gone on and studied other languages, Russian, Czech, uh, Spanish, you know, Latin. So that's been added to my my arsenal of languages. But yes, you have to not only have all of that together, but be able to understand not only what you're singing, but what everyone around you is singing so that you can communicate to them. So it's natural. So that's overwhelming to me as I listen. to Yeah, it takes a lot of not only physical practice, but mental practice. No kidding. So I spend a lot of time just studying. I'm curious, as Mm -hmm. we're kind of getting down to the wire here, can you look at where opera is today mm-hmm. and answer this question for me. Sure. Are there a lot more Amy Shoremount Obras coming up the way? Wow. That's interesting. <laughs> Before you answer, let me just sure. throw this in also. I worry about classical music. Mm. I worry about the opera in that when a certain generation, as in mine, leaves these mortal coils, who's replacing me? And that even goes for theater. I mean, yes, you'll get a Hamilton, you know, or a Spamalot or um, uh, the Book of Mormon. But when I go to the theater and I don't go to the opera, Mm. I mean, I was not exposed to that Mm -hmm. at the right age. I've been. Mm -hmm. It's overwhelming to me. But when I look around in the theater, all I see for the most part is me. Yeah, we are trying in our art form to reach out and, first of all, let people know that this is not an elitist art form. Um, there, A lot of opera companies have wonderful outreach programs to bring operas to schools. With my new festival um, that I, I, I uh, co-founded in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. in Hawaii, that is one of our missions to be able to bring this music there to a community who has no exposure to classical music, let alone, you know, um, definitely opera. But um, yeah, I think everyone is doing their part to try to bring this music to the people because it is, it's for everybody. It's, it, 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 if the exposure is there, um, kids love it. Uh, during my Met debut, my four-year-old, at the time, four-year-old niece and two-year-old nephew came. No kidding. Dressed to the nines in their little tuxedo <laughs> and the ball gown that I bought them, their aunt got bought them. And um, they loved it. They absolutely sat there the entire time, like, and it Riveting. was in German, <laughs> you oh know? But they, you know, they did have the luxury of it being the Julie Taymor production, so it's very visual well, hello. puppetry. <laughs> yeah, so I think there are more singers now than ever really? out there. Really? Definitely. More singers. I mean... Of both genders? Uh, yes, yes. The, the amount of singers is unreal, but the amount of work is is lessening and that is the you problem. You mean options in terms yeah, of... Yeah, mm. in this country especially. Um, but it definitely Europe is seeing it as well. You know, a lot of it comes down to funding for the arts and then the exposure. So I think there are definitely a lot of people like myself who have the interest 
Can I say that they will have the opportunity? I hope so. We're all trying to keep it alive. And I I firmly believe that it is alive and well. And I think I think we're on a little bit of a turnaround in terms of that. There are a lot of new small companies popping up in New York City. One I was involved with last year, I'll tell you about really quickly, was called Venture Opera. And uh, it's, it was a small new company started by a young gentleman, a young uh, baritone, like 22 years old. And we put on an amazing production, sold out house. It was at the Angel Orensons Foundation downtown. Really cool venue. And, you know, people felt they, they loved it because they could be one foot away from the performers and they felt like they were a part of the performance. We used the entire space upstairs, downstairs, the aisle, the back of the it's house. It's not as intimidating as it's the Metropolitan. Yeah, they don't feel as mm-hmm. far removed yep. from it. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of small companies popping up and they're giving artists opportunities. That's excellent. And they're bringing it to people, young people. So I'm hopeful that we can we can keep it alive. Let's end on that upbeat, positive right. note. <laughs> Amy Shoremount Obra, thanks so much for joining Thank me today you, and talking so about much. your life and your career. And we're going to end this edition of Conversations with Creative Women with a sample of Amy's talent. And it's been truly my honor and pleasure to get to know you and much more continued success in Thank the future. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure as well. <laughs> <laughs>